guys. Be careful, don't fall in the water. Not just yet. Gabriel loves baptism services because he hasn't had to preach. Let's get this far forward, shall we? Give me a little bit more space. You see, I'm a bit clumsy sometimes, and I feel... Don't worry, if I do fall, somebody else will take over and finish. <laughs> Holy Spirit is here, so everything is fine. How are you doing? Happy Easter, everybody. It's great to see you all. It's fine Sunday afternoon. And... Shall we do a quick word of prayer? We're going to continue with the series of the 2.30 service looking at the life of Jesus and we're going to look at his resurrection hopefully today and pick up on what uh, Christian and Dudley have been talking about for the last few weeks. Yeah, shall we bow our hearts and pray? Lord, we thank you for your presence in this place. Jesus. We ask you that you will speak into our hearts this afternoon. Furthermore, we ask you that you will impart life to our spirits, to our souls, to our bodies. As we look at your resurrection and what it means to us this afternoon, let your healing power flow Let your spirit restore. Let your spirit touch every heart and bring peace to every single one of us. Convince people of sin. Turn them to you, O Lord. Convince people of righteousness. Speak words of wisdom, Lord. And Spirit, impart to our souls something new. And when we look back at this Resurrection Sunday, we may think, Lord, I remember your touch. I remember you were there. I remember what you did for me that day. Jesus, come. Fill this place and fill your word. And fill my mouth with your words. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen and amen. Glory. So we continue with the series. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The title for today is He Lives So You Can. Uh, last week we looked into the ten, at least ten different exchanges that happened at the cross. Pastor Dudley was looking at this. Jesus was punished so that we may be forgiven. Jesus was wounded that we might be healed. Jesus was made sin with our sinfulness that we might made righteous in his righteousness. Jesus takes his death for us that we might share his life. Jesus was made a curse that we might receive the blessing. Jesus endured poverty that we might share his abundance. Jesus bore our shame that we might share his glory. Jesus endured my rejection that I might have his acceptance with the Father. He was cut off that I might be joined with the Lord. 
Our old man was put to death in him that a new man might come into life with him. Amen? So he lives so we can live also. We're going to look uh, together, if you have your Bibles with you, turn into 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. Here is what Paul looks at, the risen Christ. And what does that mean to our faith? The resurrection and the evidence of the resurrection is overwhelming. And it's the central and key to a Christian faith. Without the resurrection... There is not redeeming. None of these ten things would have happened. Without the resurrection, there's new, no new life. Without the resurrection, we'll be, we will still be lost. So let's look at First um, Corinthians 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren... I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you receive, and in which you stand, by which also you also are saved, if you hold fast that the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I deliver to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried, and he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the Twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present. So that means those people are still around us when Paul wrote this. But some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then, last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, says Paul. But we're going to jump now to verse 12, when it says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, we are found full witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. In fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead did not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, this life only we have, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all of men the most pitiable. The death and resurrection of Christ is central and key to our faith. We, we have seen from this passage that already Paul is, is telling of how many people saw Jesus. And we can go through the gospel in detail 
of who were those, those people. But there are evidence, there's lots of evidence, historical evidence, evidence from, from the Bible that points out to the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Even if it was done, if, even if it happened 2,000 years ago, the amount of evidence that we can gather from the events, the testimonies, the historical accounts is outstanding and irrefutable. The evidence of the resurrection, I'll give you seven things that point to that really quickly and then we're going to expand some of them. First of all, the empty tomb of Jesus. For it to be an empty tomb, a seal had to be broken and some very serious Roman guard had to be overpowered. And in the state of fear that the discipleship of Jesus was at that time, where they were denying him rather than trying to take arms, I very much doubt that that was the case. The, the holy woman eyewitness, they saw him. Jesus' apostle, newfound courage. Suddenly, these scaremongers, these people that were running around denying Christ, found courage out of nowhere, apparently. It was because they met the risen Christ and they realized there is hope. Changed life of James and others. Stephen, for one, who immediately got so bold and went and preached the gospel, even to martyrdom. Of course, the last uh, large crowd of eyewitnesses that Paul mentions and conversion of Paul and all of those throughout the centuries after Jesus' resurrection, who were willing to take the ultimate sacrifice for their faith. I mean, who will die for a lie? If you were pulling a scam, if you were trying to take advantage of people, you will go only so far, but you won't die because you're doing it out of selfish purposes. You're doing something out of a selfish purpose. So. You just want to be rich or get famous or whatever it is. So if you're dead, it's not much use to be rich, right? So these people are evidence, are a witness that Jesus did rise from the dead. Jesus did not actually, if Jesus did not actually rise from the dead, what did the disciples coming back to them go from being frightened, timid followers of Jesus before his death to bold evangelists. Remember, before Jesus was crucified, they denied him, Peter, three times. What was the event that changed them? What was it that happened that made them come 180 degrees around to see it was worth going for the gospel? and believing. Also, why were disciples willing to be tortured and killed? We, we touched to that. What were they? Many say that um, it was a fraud, it was an invention, the resurrection was created afterwards so that Christianity, Christianity will make sense, but Jesus told them exactly what was going to happen. He said after three days, he will rise. If he would have been still dead, 
on day four, that means that everything else he claimed as being the Messiah and everything that he could do for us would have been void also. It only take one lie to destroy, especially in that situation, everything that he was doing. So if the motive were lies of deception that are typically done for these selfish motives to try to entice people to something that didn't really happen, preaching the resurrection was not the right thing to go for. It was a hard thing at the time. To be a Christian was not easy. And then it's the other side. It's like the, the, the purely human side of the 12 disciples being just normal people. How did these 11 first, then 12, manage to create fishermen, not study people, create what we now know as Christianity? It's a pretty good hoax to pull from a bunch of scary people, scary people that were running around Judea 2,000 years ago. The reason is because there was life. It was not a hoax. Then we, why would thousands of people immediately convert if Jesus wasn't, was actually, wasn't actually risen from the dead? Think about the story records that there are many occasions where thousands get saved at once. Mass conversion, 3,000 uh, in one go with Peter preach. It says here that, um, I've written that, read somewhere, that probably Jesus appeared over 40 days to 1,500 to 2,000 people. It's hard to tell. So there was a lot of talk in town about this Jesus that was showing up everywhere, even though he was dead. And remember, it was not Jerusalem. Has anybody been to Jerusalem? No? Few people. Okay. Jerusalem is a tiny city. It's not like London, especially back then. If you walk by the grave and the door is open, you know something's up. You didn't need anybody to come and send you an email from the other side of the world to tell you what was going on. People walk by that area every day. I think Jerusalem has two, is two kilometers wide. People walk in and out of the city constantly. They will see these things. What happened to the guy that crucified? What, the Jew guy? Yeah, yeah. He's not there anymore. He's not in the tomb. What? They stole the body. Well, who can steal from the Romans? I don't think they're there. No, people have seen him. They have seen him. He's walking around. Apparently, he's risen from the dead. I think way back then, it was the talk of town. They crucify people all the time. But yet, we don't hear of tombs emptied all the time. Amen. Not even today. Let me see. Well, even Paul himself, we are reading from Paul, who was a persecutor. He went after and killed Christians. Then was turned completely around. His very life is a testimony the Christ really existed. The Christ really was raised and was victorious at the cross. 
There's something about that empty tomb. When we think that Jesus took, when we're looking at it last week and, and, and seeing that Jesus took all of us that is wrong, all the inheritance from Adam upon himself, and give us the blessing, the blessings of heaven. You know, there's a lot of things I can talk to you about. And I'm going to touch into some people that have spent their lives trying to prove that Jesus was not alive at the time or that he did not resurrect it. But today, if, you, if it's the first time you're here, I'm going to give you at the end of the service an opportunity to open your hearts to this Christ and Jesus that we're talking about. Because I believe it's so important that you not only hear all of the proof that I can give you that people have studied and looked into, but that you may feel yourself like Paul did and encounter him personally. And that can happen today if you haven't, if you haven't encountered him before. So there's um, other proof outside the Bible. The Roman history scholars that talk about Jesus and talk about the empty tomb. Um, there are textual critics. Professor Brooke Foss Westcott, an English scholar, said that taking in all of the evidence together is not too much to say that, it's no, that there is no historic incident, very incident, sorry, better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Christ. Nothing but the antecedent assumption that it must be false could have suggested the idea of deficiency of proof of it. Another word saying, only because people are doubting it constantly is that we have to prove it, but no other historical event needs that amount of proof. Professor of Ancient History, Paul L. Mayer from Western Michigan University concluded that if all of the evidence is weighted carefully and fairly, it is indeed justifiable according to the canon of historical research to conclude that the tomb, the tomb in which Jesus was buried was actually empty on the morning of the first Easter Sunday and no shred of evidence has yet been discovered in literally sources epigraphy or archaeology that will disprove this statement. These people are not necessarily Christians. They are people that study the objective evidence that is there. Another good example is uh, Dr. Simon Greenleaf. He was a famous royal professor of law at Harvard University and succeeded Justice Joseph story as the Dean Professor of Law in the same University of Harvard. The rise of Harvard Law School to its imminent position along the legal schools in the United States is to be ascribed at the efforts of these two men. So he was number two in Harvard Law School. Greenleaf produced his famous three-volume work, A Treatise of the Law of Evidence, which is considered one of the greatest single authorities on the subject of the 
of the subject in the entire literature of legal procedure. This professor said, examine the value of historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ to ascertain the truth. He applied the principles containing his three volumes on evidence. His findings were recorded in these books and examination of the testimony of the four evangelists by the rule of evidence a minister in the course of justice. That's the mouthful. Greenleaf came to the conclusion, this is the important part, that according to the laws of legal evidence used in the court of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than just about any other event in history. And believe me, there's more. Yes, please give him an offering. Yeah, come on, come on, let's praise him. These are eminent people. This is not just me that did a little bit of research and uh, cobbled up a few scriptures and tell you, hey, this is what you should believe. Look at history. Look what Christianity has endured. But let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and read from verse... Fifty. Go to the end of the chapter. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. No does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will rise incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this incorruptible, so for this corruptible must put on incorruption. And the mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible was put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. And I want to speak this word into your life. As we look into the resurrection of the Lord, prophetically I say to you, whatever circumstance is causing death into your life, all death, where is your sting? All haters, where is your victory? My Jesus took you down. He sits at the right hand of the Father, victorious, interceding for me and you. And that is our inheritance. That is the inheritance of his resurrection, complete victory over death. If you have an illness, fear, oppression, there is victory in Christ. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gave us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, beloved brethren, be steadfast. Let me encourage you, be steadfast. Don't give up. Believe, always believe. Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Hallelujah. Let me pray for you real quick.
Holy Spirit, once again, I release you in this place over every situation of death. Bring life. If it's a sickness, an illness, if it's a family problem, if it's a discussion, an argument, if it's a breakdown, if it's a hurt in the heart, if it's a financial trouble, anywhere where death has a hole and a grip in anybody's life right now, that is under the sound of my voice, I release victory and freedom. In Jesus' name. We believe in you, Lord. Why don't you bring before his presence whatever is, whatever it is that is there. There, with your head bows in, in prayer for a minute. Just speak to your God. Speak to him. Bring before him the area of your life that you want him to step in so that you can have the evidence of the resurrection that is victory in Christ. Talk to him. Amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus. So what does this mean? Let's continue to unpack it. It means the indwelling of Christ himself, his life within us, depending on his resurrections. Paul declares, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the hope of divine enablement, of a new kind of life and peace. The sending of the Holy Spirit, because he, came, he resurrected and went to the Father, we enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit freely. The veil was cut down, and we have free access to the Father. Of course, the gift of eternal life, as we accept his work in the cross, we believe, and we also live. His work as an advocate and intercessor. As I said in my prayer, he is now sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and me. And the bestowal of gifts to the church, the gifts of the Spirit that we can see in operation, prophecy, healings, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, the peace that surpasses all understanding. As we see these things, what should our response be? I believe that 
as people that have already placed our faith in him, our job is twofold. We have to believe, continue to believe, and we have to love. To become more like him, if he is love and we are to become more like him, then we are to become more like love. And I guess that loving people and loving, being a loving person is a big part of it. But if you don't know this Christ I'm talking to you about, if you're here maybe as a guest to accompany one of these fine men and women that are getting baptized today, or just visiting because it's Easter Sunday, let me tell you that the empty tomb means that we have a living Savior in Jesus Christ. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, exalted, and he desires to have fellowship with you. Because he went through all that to make you and I friends with God once again. So I want us all to join, to pray a prayer of salvation. And if it's your first time, we'd like to talk to you further and pray with you further. So I'll ask you to, to acknowledge to me that you prayed this prayer for the first time. But we're going to pray all together, and then uh, we're going to come to see who's done it for the first time. So let's bow our heads once again. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you'll come into my heart, Jesus. I've seen the evidence of your resurrection. I've seen the people around me that you have transformed and changed. Lord, transform me. Change me. I want to know you, Jesus. I pray that you will come into my heart and that you will forgive all my sin. And I pray, Lord, that you will let me enjoy of the victory that you had at the cross, the victory of the empty tomb, the victory of your resurrection. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So just to pray further with you and encourage you in your faith, I'd like to know if you pray that prayer for the first time, if you could raise your hands to me, please. You ready here at the front? Anybody else? Anybody? Just your sin, these two people here? Okay, fantastic. Praise the Lord. Glory.